You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I'm going to ask if you would to turn to Mark chapter 11, verse, and we'll begin reading here in just a minute in verse 22, returning again tonight to uh, with Christ in a school of prayer based on the teachings of Andrew Murray. And uh, I'm finding in, in here some unique things, some pro- profound things that uh, I, I know I'm finding useful, uh, a little bit different again than what I expected. We'll begin reading with, uh, with verse 22. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Okay, that's uh, quite a scripture. And I quite a promise. The promise that God will answer prayer is one of the most clear and commonly confessed statements in the Christian world. Yes, God answers prayer. But this one, not only with it being a tremendous promise, has brought tremendous confusion. Because, because this, what does this... What is it just in, on, the, on surface value, what does it say? In very simple terms, you know, if it's not confusing, so what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and, they shall, and you shall have them. You tried that lately? Just something that you desire and you, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I know some people, I've got stories that I can tell of a, of, of a person who went into a car dealership uh, in Lubbock and said, I'm here because the Lord told me that if I showed up, you'd give me a car. Guess what? He left without a car. He desired it, seems to fit that criteria. You know, he believed it enough to go to the dealership and, and receive it. It just, it didn't happen. So we need to at least acknowledge there's probably something else going on here that, that we cannot miss because or this promise is going to be misunderstood. I, wonder, I wondered in my notes, how many have asked, how can I ever attain a faith that knows that it will receive all that it asks. I mean, that's a, that's a fair question because I don't think I experienced it. I don't think I could ever stand and say everything I ever desired, I asked for and I received. So it leaves us processing this question, is this a lack of faith? Is this something I'm doing wrong on my part? Is it something that something that God wrote that he just doesn't honor. You know, what is this? 
this kind of a promise. Because once again, it doesn't seem terribly confusing. Are you okay, Danny? You hurt? Are you? Okay, I just, okay, just checking. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's just happy. He's just that way. How can I ever attain faith that knows that it will receive all that it asks? So most have concluded that something has changed since Jesus spoke those words. Here it is. One more time. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Most people will conclude that something must have happened between the time that Jesus said that and now because that does not seem to be true. I know what I desire. I know that things have happened in my life when things have happened that have been unfortunate. I desired something else. No matter what level of desire I had, I couldn't change the outcome. So... There's a conclusion or at least a question that forms between when Jesus said that in, in Mark chapter 11 and us now, something must have changed. <clears throat> Whatever the something is, generally in, in the conversations that I have alludes to us. Most of the time the question is, I must not be asking right. My faith, something is wrong here that would keep this prayer from being answered. Because, because I, you know, right now, I can think of several things I, I could pray to help people out and to, and to get situations be over and to bring freedom in situations, and I can pray that, and I can pray that, and I can pray that. But it doesn't seem like that my, my prayers are, are, are achieving the desired outcome. And I would even conclude that surely God would have the same desire that I have. Surely that, you know, is, is the situation that's unfolding, God's heart would be that that wouldn't unfold that way either. And so we could, we could ask this question. It's a powerful question about a powerful promise and a different reality that we seem to live today. Well, Jesus answered the question for us. We don't, we don't really have to wonder here about the disconnect between these two things because Jesus answered the question before he gave this promise to the disciples. What did he say? In verse 22, he said, have faith in God. Now, I want to tell you something. We're in, and uh, this will unfold here in just a second a bit more. Let me see if I can use these chairs as an illustration. If this chair is a problem, so right here in the middle, if this prayer is a problem, and I'm going to petition God on this chair's behalf, 
and it says have faith in God, then the tendency would be to believe to have faith in God as I ask him about the petition for this chair. Have faith that when I ask about, the, about this chair and, and the help that I want for this chair, that I need to have faith in God that he will do what I'm asking him to do. It's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, have faith in God here, 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 have faith in God here. It's not situation or circumstance big, it is a lifetime big. Because it creates two very, very different things. But most people will connect that and say, if you want your prayer answered, then have faith in God. That creates faith around a circumstance, faith around a situation, faith around a need. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying in the smallest sense, I want you to have faith in God when something comes up. He's saying, I want you to have this faith in God that is a lifetime, a lifetime big, a lifetime deep, a lifetime large. So we have a tendency because of the narrowness of this scripture to say, He's speaking specifically about this prayer. That's not the answer. He's saying, have faith in God. The power to believe a promise rests solely uh, on the faith that we have in the one who made the promise. Doesn't that make sense? If somebody somebody walks up to me and says, I'm, I'm, you know, tomorrow... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you a million dollars. And you happen to know this person and you have known this person for most of your life in the history and all in the circumstances of the situation and, and you know that person, how believable is, is the promise? See, the promise finds its assurance in the fact that you know the person who made the promise or you're not going to believe the promise. So it's not unusual again that Jesus would say have faith in God because it's not about the promise, it's about the promise maker. And he's saying have faith in the promise maker, not just in the promise. I'm going to read this, this excerpt from the book. It says, Andrew Murray wrote, only when we live with God in a personal loving relationship where God himself is everything to us and only when our whole being is continually opened up and exposed to the mighty working of his holy presence within is the capacity developed to believe that he gives whatever we ask. You, you begin to hear what, what Jesus meant when he said have faith in God that creates the environment where this can actually happen. Let me read it again. Only when we live with God in a personal, loving relationship where God himself is everything to us, here, 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 and here, in every situation, in every circumstance, God is everything to us. I can begin to understand how this promise could be significantly different if if God to me was everything. Again, I've shared these stories with you before, but the uniqueness of the, of the stories that Reverend Yun would tell uh, in, I can't remember what the, uh, what the name of his book is, 
heavenly man, the heavenly man. Jan and I went to Midland to hear him speak uh, several years ago. And for him to be telling of these stories of prayer and healing and dynamic healing, for him praying for his parents, for, you know, for him to be able to, have a, to survive a 40-day fast in prison and walk out of prison with, with, you know, escorted by somebody and they didn't even realize he was gone and he was already outside the gate. And he tells these stories of, of, of the miraculous. You know, what's the uniqueness of, of the situation around those miracles? If they didn't have God, what did they have? They didn't have anything. There wasn't an insurance policy. There wasn't an attorney to represent them. They didn't have anything. So to find themselves in this position where God himself is everything to us. I've heard stories of, of feeding children in these, you know, unbelievable places. And the food to just continue and to continue and to continue when it should have run out. It's because they didn't have a corner store. They didn't have somewhere else to go. They didn't have an additional supply. If God wasn't everything, they didn't have anything. So we're not talking about here about this marginal position that we keep coming up with that says here's a situation, a circumstance that needs prayer. I'm going to have faith that if I ask God about this, then God's going to come through on this situation. That's not the faith he's describing. It's a lifetime of it. It's where the faith in God says, God, you're not one thing, you're everything. And the life demonstrates it. Only when our whole being is continually opened, opened up and exposed to the mighty working of his holy presence within is a capacity developed to believe that he gives whatsoever we ask. Now that begins to connect with me because I can understand that the more intimate that I am with him, the more I expose myself to him, the more laid bare that I am so that he can deal with me openly, honestly, completely, and I'm not carving away sections of my life where I'm busy and I'm not doing other things, but he is the total of who I am and, I, and, and he's everything to me, that, that's, that that has at least a potential of creating an atmosphere, an environment where I could anticipate that which I ask, he will do. Why? What am I going to ask? I'm going to ask his will. I'm going to know it because I'm going to have that intimate relationship with him. I'm not going to ask for those things that are selfish. I'm not going to ask for those things I shouldn't ask because, I, you know, because the intimacy says that I get to sit at his table and as a child of God, I get to know his will because of the relationship. So again, the fact that Jesus started this conversation by saying, have faith in God, begins to open us up to the possibility of how the rest of it could actually unfold. The connection between faith in God and faith in his promises becomes clear to us if we think what faith really is. The connection between faith in God and faith in his promises. It, again, it begins to clear up when I think about what faith really is. Have faith in God. You all have heard me use these illustrations many, many times, but each of you here are demonstrating faith by the very nature of the fact that you're sitting in a chair 
you're demonstrating faith in that chair. How much are you doing right now to help the chair be a chair? Nothing. The minute that you start trying to help the chair be a chair, the chair can't function as the chair was designed to function. What percentage of, of ourselves would God let us hang on to saying, I, tr- I have faith in you 90%. I've just kind of reserved this 10% for something else. For those, for those other plans that I put in place, how effective would this chair be if you were only sitting in it 90%? What if you, in this position, what if you had the responsibility of holding up 10% of your weight sitting there like that? You see, you couldn't do it. Because what is the nature of faith? I'm asking somebody or something to do something totally on my behalf that I'm admitting I cannot do. Have faith in God. I'm admitting that there's many things I can't do. I I have no no capability or possibility of doing. And And the way that he becomes active in it is because I rest myself in him, not not trying to help him be God. I guarantee it's very rare in this culture today to find anybody that's not trying to help God be God. Not trying to help the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Trying to bring conviction when only the Holy Spirit can do it. Discernment when only the Holy Spirit can give it. I don't know many people that don't have some portion of their life where they're not trying at least to help God. They're going to put their best effort forward so that they can help God accomplish what God needs to accomplish. That's not what he said. Have faith in God. There was a place when when each of you came in. There was a time when you walked in and you said, I believe if those chairs will hold me if I choose to sit in one of them. Is that faith? No. That's a belief that it will. Faith doesn't occur until your knees begin to bend and there's a place where you can't hold your weight anymore and the full exercise of faith is when your weight hits that chair and the chair goes to work on your behalf. It's a, I think it would be a rare thing to see that in, 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 in the Christian life anymore. I think it would be a rare thing to find individuals who were so totally in that position where they had no reliance on anything other than him. Because I know for me, I'll just, I can only speak of one. I would love to say that I'm there. But I know, by my honest confession, I know that I'm not. I know that there are still security things that I've tried to place under me to make sure that, that, that I, I, I'm, I'm tr- I don't want to say that I'm trusting in them, but I know that I am. I'm building those things around me that allow me to trust in things other than him so that the full weight of my my life and my existence is not resting totally on him. And we look at those people who actually live that way and wonder about them. Yes, ma'am. Exactly right. 
Uh, again, most of you know uh, our, our niece, uh, Misty Edwards. Uh, hear her music and just the things that she does on stage and the ministry that's connected to her. Very few know anything about her personal life. That's by design, I think. Uh, it's, just, it's just really her life, and, and she chooses to live it the way that she, that she lives it. But I can tell you the way she lives is a testimony that she wants to make sure that there's no question about that she has one provision. And, that, and that's it. And, that's, and, and again, we, we look at that story and often just kind of stand amazed because it looks so different than almost any other life I've ever seen. Because when somebody finally hits that place where, they, where, where the, the only reliance is upon God, it truly does look different than what we typically see. If faith comes by hearing, and we know that it does, if I'm going to believe the promises of someone like we get to read in Mark, then I must hear the person who gives me that promise. This is another reason that, that prayer becomes questionable in, in, in the Christian church today. Because what is one of the things that is largely, in, almost according to whole denominations, has been removed from the teaching that when, when God finished this, he quit speaking. That has been often taught in this church for many years. In the scriptures that they would use in the book of Acts to say that when this full revelation was finished, God didn't speak anymore. Well, I want to tell you, it becomes very, very difficult. Because if, if I were to tell Danny something, and if I were to make Danny a promise, there would be something, if, if I slipped him the note, it would, it would mean something. If he could just read the promise, it would mean something. But if I asked Danny from my voice so that he could hear these words and he could hear the tenor and the tone by which the question or the promise was made, I want to tell you it's a different promise than just what would be read. If we don't hear the voice of the one who's making the promise, the promise won't mean as much. And when we rule out that that, that that God who made the promise quit speaking at the end of Acts, then we are admitting, I, I can read the promise, but I can't hear the voice. I don't know the voice of the one who said it. It's not familiar to me because he doesn't speak anymore, which is one of the more odd concepts that, that, we, have, that we believe, that suddenly a God who spoke often, frequently, just decided I'm done. I hear that a lot in my office. I'm done. That God would just say, I'm not going to talk anymore. When he said faith comes by hearing and hearing by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When faith originates there, this faith in God that Jesus is speaking of, then I need to be able to hear the voice of the one who made the promise. I must again hear the tone of his voice that gives assurance and certainty of that faith. That is why Jesus first gave that instruction to have faith in God. He is saying to listen to the words of the one who made the promise. He is saying, listen to the tone that accompanied the words. He's saying, look into the face of the one 
and let your eyes open and gaze upon the living God and see him who is invisible by faith. The nature of the promises will change. The assurance of the promises will change when we actually, instead of saying, okay, now God, I've got a need. I've got to come to you and have faith that you will answer my need. I've got faith in you that you will come through in this situation, this circumstance. I want to tell you that the whole dynamic of this picture will change. When, he, when we recognize that when he says have faith in God, he is saying, listen to the words that the promise giver spoke. Listen to the tone in which he gave it. But more importantly, open your eyes, look into the face of the one who is this living God who is impossible and I'm invisible and let him become visible by faith. Wouldn't it be interesting if you walked in and there were, you couldn't see a chair, but you walked to the place where you normally sit and you sat down and the chair was there, invisible. Because when people would walk in, they'd say, how are you doing that? How are you in that position? That is impossible. No. Let me introduce you to chairs. I tell you what, this invisible God that we, that we cannot see can be discovered by faith and the promises become real. But we will not discover him if we don't open our eyes and see him and, and open our ears and hear him and listen to his heart so he can share the tone of, what, of the promises he's given. I also wrote this down out of, out, of, out of this chapter in this book. So believing God is just looking to God and what he is, who he is, allowing him to reveal his presence, giving him time and yielding the whole being to fully comprehend what he is as God, believing the soul opens to receive and rejoice in the overshadowing of his love. So believing God is just looking to God and who he is and allowing him to reveal his presence, giving him time and yielding the whole being to fully comprehend who he is as God. Again, to come to him and say, God, I had a desire and you didn't come through. If he were that kind of God, he would say, where you been? Haven't talked to you in a month. Have had no time with you. No intimacy. No conversation. No embrace. No worship. No praise. No acknowledgement. No trust. No faith. But you want me to come through when you got a desire and you want me to come through and fulfill it. And I think the answer should begin to form in us right now that prayer is not the result of the circumstance, which is what we make prayer about. What's prayer about? Having faith in the promise maker. Having faith in God. Through the Holy Spirit and only by that Spirit is faith possible. It is Him who shows us beyond what our eyes can see and our ears can hear in the natural. The silent voice from heaven must teach us as it did 
Jesus what to say and what to do. What made it possible, this is our key, what made it possible for Jesus to speak his desire and the Father to fulfill it? What made it possible? It wasn't the moment that he was standing in front of the blind man and he makes the request. That wasn't it. I could go stand in front of the same blind man and make the same request and nothing happened. Why did it happen with Jesus? Because he was in a personal, intimate, loving, hearing, complete surrender relationship with his father. There was no gap between them because the father was in him and he was in the father. As he defined the relationship in John chapter 14, there was no gap, there was no separation, there was no other trust, there was no other plan, there was no other hope, there was no one else to turn to, there was no one else to lean on, it was his father. That's all he knew. So that every request was formed inside the relationship. Most of our requests are formed because of a need somebody brought to us. That becomes our prayer life. The prayer life originates in the relationship we have with the Father. It's not an extra. It doesn't get dropped in. It's already formed inside the relationship. Jesus could come to the Father when, some, when he saw something or saw a situation, not because it was because of the need. It was because he already had the relationship established between him and his Father. He didn't have anyone else to turn to. Without the Father, I can do nothing. He didn't have another place to go. He didn't have another place to turn. He didn't have another situation in his back pocket that he could lean on. The silent voice from heaven must teach us, as it did Jesus, what to say and what to do. An open ear, a believing heart waiting on him to hear what he says that he wants us to hear. So with eyes open, Ears alert, and we see and hear God, it will give demonstrative power to our hands and our mouth. Let me say that again. With eyes open so that we can see him, ears alert so that we can hear him, we see and hear God, it will give power that can be demonstrated to our hands and to our mouth, where I can say something, I can touch something, and anticipation of the word spoken and the, and the laying on of hands, I can expect something miraculous to happen because the relationship has already been fixed between me and him. He's not an extra that I trust and needs. He's always everything in every situation so that this becomes a part of the relationship. The lost being how we, the, the last, this demonstration of our hands in our mouth is how we appropriate God and his power into the situations that we have, but that doesn't happen because of the need. It happens that we have that power, that authority, because of the relationship. Reception, receiving, depends fully on perception, knowing. Say that again. Reception, our ability to receive, depends fully on our perception or our ability to know. If I don't know him, I won't be able to receive from him. That is why Jesus gave that have faith in God before he gave the promise. 
Faith is simply surrender, as we've spoken many times. It is fellowship that is living with God himself who loves to speak and desires to hear us. That's what, that, it, it is not only surrender, it is fellowship every day with, this, with God so that I know his heart, I know his plans, I know the things that he has, I know that they're good, and I'm trusting in, in, in my prayer, not because of a promise he made, because I'm trusting in the one I know that he made the promise itself. Many or most do not understand the connection between the life of faith and the prayer of faith. What is the life of faith? We've been talking about it. It's the total reliance, the resting our life completely in every aspect of our life, letting it rest on him. That life of faith then allows the prayer of faith. Try the prayer of faith without the life of faith, what's going to happen? Not much. And we wonder why our prayer life, why we, the scripture says they had a form of godliness but knew not the power thereof. But we don't have the power in prayer, not because he doesn't hear us, not because of the, the, the need isn't real, it's that, we, it's that we don't have a life of faith that prepares us for this prayer of faith. Again, I know, I know some people who I can clearly say, you know, again, I love to tell the story, though it's, it's a very old one. You know, when, when we were following this lady, and I was, I was interim pastor ropes, and this lady and her husband are coming back to sundown to have lunch with us after Sunday morning services. And we're, and we're coming down 41 right about the time we get to the double curve at that, where the old gin used to be, and her door flies open. Now, this is, a, this is a car going down the highway 70 miles an hour, and it would be almost impossible to even push the door open just because of the wind and everything else at 70 miles an hour. The door flies open, and I see her. I'm behind her. I just, she reaches out and gets the door and just pulls it closed. We get to sundown, and I said, Linda, what in the world was that? And she said, Satan's been trying to kill me for about three weeks. And just kind of, kind of matter of fact, she's been trying to kill, he's been trying to kill me for three weeks. I said, Why? I said, I don't, I don't understand. And she, she told a couple of stories. But one of the stories was that she was in a Bible study at Sweetwater. And a, a lady that was in the Bible study fell over dead. I mean, to the degree that they called the ambulance, the ambulance came and checked her out and said, no heartbeat, no pulse, no blood pressure, gone. They, they, they called the daughter as they're loading her in the ambulance so the daughter can meet them. At, at, at the hospital because they're going to take her on in and Linda is standing over her saying in the name of Jesus you will not die in the name of Jesus you will not die in the name of Jesus you will not die she crawls up in the ambulance in the name of Jesus you will not die and the lady sits up see you can't have the prayer of faith without the life of faith because she's the one I told you that when her husband bought her that brand new Chrysler she gets a phone call from a pastor in Idaho, and says, I, I got this number. The Holy Spirit gave me this number and said, if I'd call this number, you'd have a car for me. So she called Stan, her husband. She said, Stan. Now she told him the day before, she said, I think I'm supposed to give this car away. And he said, to whom? And he, she said, I don't have a clue. Well, the next day the phone call came. She said, she called Stan at work and said, I got the call. And he said, give it away. Now, you're thinking, again, in that, in that situation that she's going to get a nice replacement. She never got a replacement. You can't have the prayer of faith if you don't have the life of faith. 
And there's other stories I could tell you that she shared with us that day. Because we don't understand the connection, most prayers are not born out of the relationship, they're born out of the need. That's a powerful statement. Because we don't understand the connection between the life of faith and the prayer of faith, most, most prayers don't originate out of the relationship, have faith in God. They originate in the need. I think it's fascinating that Jesus didn't separate the two. That he didn't say, here's your promise, without saying, first of all, you've got to have the faith relationship if you're going to have the if you're going to have the the, the, the the prayer of faith that goes with it. So we consider the promise of answered prayer and we try to grasp what is missing in that moment that we would cause it to be unanswered. I've asked that. I have asked that numerous times about situations in this church. I've asked. I believe I'm asking according to the will of God. I believe I'm asking because of revelation that he's given me. And it doesn't happen, and so we, we begin to draw conclusions. Well, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's something wrong in me. We begin to process this. Now, I don't know if you do, but I know that I do, especially when I'm asking him for the big things. When I'm asking for healing for someone, it's like, you know, I, I, I believe I'm asking according to the will of God and the revelations that he's given but I ask and it, and it doesn't happen. It gets real hard to ask again. It's like, so we begin to adjust what, what, what's, what's really going on here. I think if we would get serious about this question, we would recognize how few of us totally live this life of faith so that we can truly ask and speak a prayer of faith. Very, very difficult in our, in our, in our self-evaluation. When prayer is not successful, many give up hope and do not consider that the relationship with him, not just the immediate circumstance, establishes the outcome and the answers to prayer. We, we, don't, we, we never roll our disappointment in the prayer not being answered to the question of the relationship. So he teaches us here to have faith in God, the living God, and to let faith uh, in God more than to have faith in God more than having faith in the promises. So we see this frequently in the Old Testament where there were great exhibitions of power. They began with the revelation of God. I'm not, I'm not going to give the scriptures of these, but you know, or the stories behind them. 1 Kings 6, 1, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. 1 Kings 17, 2, and the word of the Lord came unto Elijah. Another one, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. The word of the Lord came unto Abraham. The word of the Lord came unto Moses. The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. Numerous times the word of God came into Ezekiel. Numerous times the word of God came into Jonah. The word of God came to Zechariah. There were, there were conversations with God, announcements from God, and each one of those was followed by some dynamic moment, some unraveling or unfolding of God's will. Each one of them was preceded by this announcement, this, this, these words that they could hear and God was announcing that these, these things were coming. Why doesn't he announce those today? He does, but how does he do it? 
because we have the Spirit of God that lives in us. How does the announcement be made? It's made by the Spirit, speaking directly to us, and it doesn't require the external voice because we have an internal reality now placed within us called the Holy Spirit. But he's still, in, to answers of dynamic moments, it's still each one of them going to come by the same type of announcement. And the word of the Lord came to someone and the word of the Lord spoke and the word of the Lord said. And we're going to be able to respond and know that because he spoke, I can now live in anticipation. But very often we see the need and let the need move us and not the word of God. And what we do when we move according to need and not according to the word of God, we remove his sovereignty from the story. And it now becomes about what we recognize as the need and not what he's pointing out. Again, I don't know how many times that Jesus in situations, because I wonder, and these are just things that run around in my head, the, the moment that he, the woman touched the hem of his garment, I wonder if she was the only sick person in the circle around him. The crowd. I wonder if, if, if she was, no, but why did he heal just one? Because that's what the Father said. Because the word of the Father preceded that moment because Jesus said, I can only do what I see my Father do. I can only speak what I hear my Father say. The word of God had to proceed so that, so that the, the promises being fulfilled weren't being fulfilled because of the need. They were being fulfilled because of the will of the Father. If we take him out, we remove his sovereignty and we start praying for those things that didn't originate in him and we wonder why they're not answered. It, prayer, powerful prayer, originates in the relationship and not in the circumstance. I have a full page and I didn't even try to, to get them all of how many times in the Old Testament the announcement is made by God preceding some great event, some great situation or circumstance. Because they knew God, they trusted him. They trusted his promise. Even we get, to Mo, we get to Moses at the burning bush and they're having this conversation. What convinced Moses? He had this rod. And, and what did God say? Throw it down. He threw it down, he picks it up. And what, what is it now? It's a snake. What convinced him to be obedient. He had an encounter with God. Moses is standing there in the Red Sea in front of him. He's looking around. I, 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 can, I can see some of us standing there. What would your answer be? Big equipment. We, yeah, we... You know, we just need some, if we get the equipment big enough, Jackie's saying, I, I got some stuff I think I can put together to get us across there. All of us are going to be planning. All of us are going to be thinking. And God says, extend your, extend your rod. That one act of obedience because he heard the voice. And the voice was, was preceding the Miraculous. With great error, we think that prayer is the means by which things come down from heaven to us. We think that prayer is what causes things to come from the Father down to us. That's, that's an error. Common one, extremely common one. 
with great insight and great understanding, we now know and see that it was by Jesus that we were drawn upward to him. Can you see the difference in how prayer life would be established? I pray that God would send something from heaven, some answer, some fulfillment. But because of Jesus, what we realize is I don't have to pull that down because because of Jesus, I'm pulled upward to the Father. It's no longer a, a, a petition or request. It's a relationship. But most of us have considered prayer to be simply asking that, that heaven would provide something. And God is saying, by Jesus, I provided so that you could not, that, so that you weren't bound by earthly things. You could be pulled into the heavens. You could be pulled into the supernatural. You could be pulled into the bountiful. You could be pulled into the abundant. There's a whole lot of difference in perception about how we approach prayer when we think it's, I'm requesting versus the fact that what Jesus has done has allowed us to, to live in the, in, the, in the supernatural reality of heaven already. Relationship, not prayer is the means by which great promises are believed and find power. As he imparts himself to us and takes possession of us, the prayer of faith will become a very real part of our relationship with him. As he imparts himself to us and and we become saturated with him. And, And when we allow him to take possession of us, full possession, holding nothing back, then we can then live with anticipation of the power of that prayer of faith because we've correctly established the life of faith that goes with it. This one, this chapter was particularly insightful to me because suddenly those passages like we we read in Mark where it's like we don't even want to preach them because it's like I I don't want to tell a congregation that you can just desire something and go ask God and he's going to deliver because I know what you're going to do. You're going to ask and it ain't going to happen. So it's like we, we come to those passages somewhat cautiously because we don't understand fully what I'm supposed to be preaching about this because of all the promise made, the great dynamic of that passage is have faith in God. Have faith in God establishes the life of faith that then makes the prayer of faith right below it possible can't separate the two and it began to really answer for me why why we we often lack the ability to ask with the expectation that it's going to be delivered it's because we haven't spent the time to establish the relationship the life of faith before we ask in this petition this prayer of faith you know in my office this past week I, I share this often but so many times like I, I can tell I can tell anybody, I can tell Amy, I can tell Lorenda. You only have one responsibility in life. Only one. And it's a real simple one. You have a responsibility to keep this vessel under the flow of the Holy Spirit. That's your one responsibility. That will make you the husband you're supposed to be, the wife you're supposed to be, the employee that you're supposed to be, the friend that you're supposed to be, the parent that you're supposed to be, because the cup is overflowing. The vessel overflows, and the people around us are touched by the overflow. 
But we find ourselves, I did that morning when Rhea and Amanda are explaining this to me and I'm laying on the floor of my office and Rhea gets that cup and it empties the pins out of it and said, Randy, you've been ministering from within the cup again. And she told me, you only have one responsibility to this church. Keep this cup under the flow of the Holy Spirit. So I went from desperation telling Jan the night before I didn't think I could do this anymore. That tired, that weary, just couldn't see it going on to completely restored and completely renewed in 10 minutes. Because the move of the cup. But the question then is, how does the cup drift? How does the cup ever get moved in the first place? And we don't even, we don't even think about it. When I start processing something, guess what happened? Cup moves. When I can start considering options, cups move. When I start feeling guilty, the cup moves. When I start feeling the stress, the cup moves. And we don't even realize in such small increments that, I'm, that, the, that I'm, I moved the cup. It wasn't him. I, he, the flow is right where it was. I moved the cup. I worried over something that wasn't mine to worry about, concerns that weren't my concerns, Frustrations that weren't my frustrations, I, and it, with each one of them, I move, the cup moves just a little, and then and then we wonder why we are at this point of desperation because I've been I, I've been I've been feeding others around me out of the cup. Now the cup's empty, and the only conclusion that we have is I just don't think I can go on. I'm tired of this, and we watch people drift away. And God's saying, you only have one responsibility in this world. Keep the cup under the flow. We have this treasure. Where? In earthen vessels that the excellency would be of God and not of us. Keep the vessel under the flow and don't let it drift. It's amazing what the relationship looks like when we can keep the cup under the flow of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you tonight for teaching us these profound aspects of life and prayer and life and faith and how they connect. So Lord, just thank you that you bring with clarity and with great wisdom so profoundly these answers that we seek. We thank you, God, for teaching us because you're the only one who can in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.